God, help us. Have mercy on us. Help us to remember today as your people that you alone can rescue. That you alone bring order to the chaos of our lives and the chaos of our world. And so we look to you, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Please be seated. Good morning again to you all. It's wonderful to have you here with us in person and online as well. I typically write my sermons early in the week on Monday or Tuesday, and I did that this week, and then I um, wrote another sermon. Uh, I had this cute little story that I was going to tell you about my son's bike chain not staying on, (laughs) and uh, kind of like an analogy for, you know, the repair needed in our own spiritual lives, and uh, you know, we all need to check into the bike shop of faith, you know, that sort of thing. <laughs> and, uh, and increasingly, that seemed really tone deaf and just frankly irrelevant. And so I'm not going to tell you about that bike chain. It still won't stay on, um, but that's not uh, what any of us has on our mind uh, today. We, we're reeling as a people, I think, in so many ways. We saw evil and brokenness on display at a national, international level. Um, We saw political ideology turn into idolatry in the most profound, uh, unspeakable ways. And um, it's led to the loss of life, to the desecration of our common life, and it's embarrassing and it's shameful. Uh, And I imagine for most of us, it's about all we've been able to talk about or think about. Most of your conversations the last few days have centered on the events of Wednesday. Um, The conversations I've had have gone um, something like this, some version of people saying, this just doesn't happen here. Um, This is what you see on the news in Venezuela or Syria or name the place, but this doesn't happen here. This is not the sort of thing that happens in America. And yet we've had to spend the last few days confronting the fact that it does happen here. It has happened here. Uh, Our country is overcome by evil, evil that has been incited by countless people all the way to the highest levels of leadership in our country. And so we as a people have been laid bare. And so all of our weaknesses, all of our divisions and our shortcomings seem to be at this moment on full display for the world to see. And into a moment like this, the church asks us, as you probably have picked up from our readings and our prayers and our song, they ask us to reflect on the baptism of Jesus. And you might think, what in the world do the events of Wednesday and the baptism of Jesus Christ have to do with one another? Um, I think God in his goodness and his uh, providence and love for us um, has quite a lot to say, or these two things have quite a lot to say to one another, because actually I think we don't put the baptism aside. There might be a temptation to say, well, let's just not talk about that. That's not what we're thinking about this week. Let's just talk about the events of this week. But I actually think the gift of things like the Christian year is, is we see the events of our life, the events of our world, through the story of Christ. And we say, Lord, how does your baptism help us make sense of the evil and the chaos that we saw this week. And that's actually a word I've heard a lot, chaos, right? You've heard that, the the capital has descended into chaos, something like that. And uh, chaos is a far more theological word than you might realize upon 
first reflection, especially in the Jewish mindset. Chaos is a really significant word. You find it popping up throughout the Old Testament, especially, and this is interesting, especially tied to water. So, and this makes sense. If you're an ancient Jew living uh, in a coastal country, Chaos and water go hand in hand. The water is the source of uncontrollable storms. The water is where the the monsters live in the depths of the darkness. Um, It's interesting, if you were to look up, especially a Byzantine icon of Jesus, um, you can go and Google this. Look up an icon of the baptism of Jesus, and you see Jesus in the water, the River Jordan. Uh, I saw the River Jordan a couple years ago, and it's a relatively calm river. It's six times smaller than the Chattahoochee. It's this kind of, it's like a stream. Um, And yet if you look up an icon of the baptism of Jesus, it's like he's in the middle of a rapid. He's in these rapid waters uh, and it has all these different bizarre characters in the waters. You see sea monsters in the River Jordan. That is clearly not literal. That's meant to tell us something about the nature of water that is not historical, but profoundly true. You see kind of the old man river. You'll see this old man, like the river itself personified. But he's not this jolly chap sitting, you know, fishing on the, on the banks. He's this almost demonic looking creature, like, like fearful. And it's this way of speaking to the fact that the waters are a source of chaos. The waters are a source of evil and brokenness. And so in that icon, they're trying to say Jesus enters fully into that which is chaotic and disordered and disfigured. And these, the icons are beautiful. The cliffs kind of rise up on either side. And on one cliff, you have John the Baptist doing what he does, pointing to Jesus. And on the other cliff, you have uh, angels, angels waiting on Christ. And it's almost like you see that to move from this cliff to this cliff, from brokenness into peace and into the, the life of the kingdom of God, you have to pass through the things that hold our greatest fears and the greatest evils and chaos and brokenness in the world. That's why we read the readings that we read today. The lectionary is really beautiful today. Um, Psalm 29, talking about the way in which the Lord uh, calms the waters. We read Genesis 1. Genesis 1 is very significant for what we're talking about today. Genesis 1 is a story fundamentally about God bringing order out of chaos. If you look at that, what do you see? The earth is chaotic. It's formless and void. Darkness is over the earth. And what does that story tell us? From a place of brokenness, from a place of chaos, disfigurement, what does God do? He brings order. Separates the waters from the waters. Why does he do this? For the good ordering of creation, for the flourishing of the world. And so why do I say that? Why do I mention that? Well, because I think it actually helps us make sense of Mark 1. It actually helps us make sense of Jesus himself. Because think of the life and the ministry of Jesus. Whenever you see Jesus interacting with water, you and I are meant to think of Genesis chapter 1. Because every time you see Jesus interacting with water, it is God doing again what he did in Genesis bringing order out of chaos. Jesus is the Lord of creation, and so he walks on water. He brings order out of chaos, and he calms the raging sea. Jesus heals the chaos and brokenness and sin in our own lives, and he tells people to go and bathe in a pool of water. 
and there be cleansed and there be healed. But before all of those stories happen, the first one that we see is the baptism of Jesus. And in this moment, you see the way in which Jesus condescends into our weakness. And I think that's a really important word. Jesus condescends into our weakness because if we don't see it that way, it's actually a very confusing story. Like if you stop for a minute and think about it, why was Jesus baptized? Why in the world would Jesus be baptized? Um, The sinless, perfect son of God has no need of baptism. The Bible makes that very clear, in fact, in multiple places. Uh, Hebrews says, Jesus was tempted in every way, just as we are, yet was without sin. It says he's a high priest who meets our need, one alone who is holy, blameless, pure, set apart from sinners. Uh, Peter says he committed no sin, no deceit was found in his mouth. It's easy, I think, to sympathize with John the Baptist. John the Baptist in our reading says, I need to be baptized by you, and yet you come to me. It's a logical statement that John makes, saying, why in the world would I baptize you? And yet, in spite of all of that, Jesus pushes back and says, let it be so. Let it be so. And I think it's because In so doing, we're able to see something of the purpose and the mission of Jesus Christ, something of the love of God for humanity in the way in which Jesus condescends. He doesn't look at brokenness from a distance, but he says, I'm going to go fully into the place where chaos dwells. And so what you see in the baptism is continued all the way to the cross, to his descent into death and hell, Hades itself, and speaks life and victory in all of those places. This is the heart of, of the incarnation that we celebrate at Christmas. I love the way Fulton Sheen puts it. You may not know that name. Some of you may be old enough to remember or know of Fulton Sheen. Um, He was kind of the original televangelist uh, in the best sort of way. Like, I wish we had televangelists like Fulton Sheen. He was a Roman Catholic in the middle of the 20th century who wore full clerical vestments and taught a whole generation of Americans philosophy and classical theology. It's not what you think of when you think of a televangelist. Um, I think he would be harder probably to retune, you know, for the internet. (laughs) Like, you couldn't put him to death metal or, you know, electronic (laughs) dance music or something. But his his words are actually worth listening to and, and actually quite profound. So maybe we could see a revival of, of people like Fulton Sheen. Because um, here's what he said. Like, this is what he said on TV to a general audience. He taught about the baptism of Jesus. And he said, when Jesus went down into the River Jordan to be baptized, he made himself one with sinners. And this is significant. He says, the innocent can share the burdens of the guilty. If a husband is guilty of a crime, it is pointless to tell his wife not to worry about it or that it is no concern of hers. It is equally absurd to say that our Lord should not have been baptized because he had no personal guilt. If he was to be identified with humanity, so much so as to call himself the son of man, then he had to share the guilt of humanity. And this was the meaning of the baptism by John. So, um, it's solidarity with us. It's entering into our brokenness and need, but he's not just showing us a way. He's not just a moral exemplar, people have called him. Uh, It's not just a source of inspiration. What Jesus does in the incarnation, what he does in his baptism, is he makes possible something that otherwise is impossible because of our own decisions, our own self-made exile, our own isolation as human beings. And so um, this is not um, (laughs) 
self-help. This is not Jesus giving a little extra inspiration for those who are already enlightened. It's not finding the spark that's within you. Um, although I really loved Disney's new soul movie. It's so good. Um, but it's fundamentally flawed. <laughs> Life is not about finding that one little spark inside of you. Uh, it's, uh, and that's not what Jesus is affirming or saying, go and now do as I did and just kind of find that, that little uh, extra bit of inspiration. No, he's saying this is a rescue mission for people who are helpless and hopeless and have no way out. They're lost and they're dying. And so that's what happened at Christmas. Christmas is a rescue mission. Uh, we lose sight of that because Christmas is just drenched in nostalgic sentimentality. But it's fundamentally a rescue mission, and the baptism of Jesus helps us see that. And if we miss that, if we miss the connection, it's why here just a couple days out of the Christmas season, we're talking about baptism. If we miss those connections, we leave sweet baby Jesus in the manger. <laughs> and it's very hard for us to say, how does sweet baby Jesus help us answer questions of economic uncertainty? or a, a pandemic that continues to rage around the world, uh, or a country that is overcome by violence and evil. Sweet baby Jesus has very little to say with that. And yet, Jesus Christ, Son of God, who enters into the waters of baptism to identify with chaos, the actual, not just individual or isolated chaos, but to enter into the chaos and the disorder that is found in Genesis so as to heal the world. That's something we can get behind. That's something that we could give our lives to and say, I want to be renewed and restored in that way. It's why we sing the way we do. It's why we pray the way we do and say, God, help us. Come have mercy on us. Set up your kingdom in our midst. That's a prayer we pray. Um, Sindhu, actually, let's, let's do that now. Um, what I asked Sindhu to do is we pray a version of that prayer. It's traditionally called the Jesus Prayer. That's simply a prayer to say, God, have mercy on us. Do what we are unable to do ourselves. And so before we have the creed and before we have the prayers, I, I feel like I've talked enough. I've, I've said plenty for today. Um, in light of this week, in light of our own brokenness, our brokenness as a society, it's good to pray. It's good for us to take a few minutes and simply say, God, have mercy. Do what we in and of ourselves are unable to do. And would you set up your kingdom in our midst? Would you bring healing and order to that which is sick and disfigured and disordered. And so God help us, have mercy on us. We do pray, Lord, bring your healing. Would you continue to do what you did at your baptism and enter into the chaos of our world? Um, we have been made acutely aware that the world is not how it is meant to be this week, that there is chaos at every turn. That is true in our world and it's true in our own hearts. And so continue we pray to have mercy and to identify with us in our need and our brokenness. And we say, Lord, let your kingdom come. Amen. Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, set up your
please stand if you are able. In the midst of the chaos, as Tripp talked about, that we find ourselves in, join me as we um, affirm our faith in praying the Nicene Creed together. We believe in one God, the Father, the Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, of all that is visible and invisible. We believe in one Lord Jesus Christ, the only begotten Son of God, eternally begotten of the Father, God from God, light from light, true God from true God, begotten, not made, of one being with the Father. Through him all things were made. For us and for our salvation, he came down from heaven, was incarnate from the Holy Spirit and the Virgin Mary, and was made man. For our sake, he was crucified under Pontius Pilate. He suffered death and was buried, 
and on the third day he rose again in accordance with the scriptures. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again in glory to judge the living and the dead, and his kingdom will have no end. We believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord, the giver of life, who proceeds from the Father, who with the Father and the Son is worshipped and glorified, who has spoken through the prophets. We believe in one holy Catholic and apostolic church. We acknowledge one baptism for the forgiveness of sins, and we look for the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come. Amen. One of the things that we hear about a lot in the church is how we are called to be the, um, uh, the priesthood of all believers. And part of being in the priesthood of all believers is, is your call to intercede and to pray for your world, uh, to pray for the broken, the lost, uh, to pray for yourself. So join me as we offer up these prayers during a pandemic. Let us pray to God, who alone makes us dwell in safety. For all who are affected by coronavirus, through illness or isolation or anxiety, that they may find relief and recovery. Lord, hear us. Lord, graciously hear us. For those who are guiding our nation at this time and shaping national policies, that they may make wise decisions. Lord, hear us. Lord, graciously hear us. For doctors and nurses and medical researchers, that through their skills and insights, many would be restored to health. Lord, hear us. Lord, graciously hear us. For the vulnerable and the fearful, for the gravely ill and the dying, that they may know your comfort and your peace. Lord, hear us. Lord, graciously hear us. We commend ourselves and for all whom we pray to the mercy and protection of God. Merciful Father, accept these prayers for the sake of your Son and our Savior, Jesus Christ. O God, you've made us in your own image and have redeemed us through your Son, Jesus Christ. Look with compassion on the whole human family. Take away the arrogance and hatred that infect our hearts. Break down the walls that separate us and unite us in bonds of love. God, we ask that you would work through our struggle and our confusion to accomplish your purposes on earth that in your good time, all nations and races would serve you in harmony around your heavenly throne. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Amen. At one level, this is always true, but I'm reminded this week especially of our ability to see the faults in others and to point fingers at other people. Um, reminded of the prayer of St. Ephraim, the Syrian, who said, Lord, help me to see my own faults and not to judge my brothers and sisters. And so 
One of the ways we do that is by confessing our own sins, not the sins of others, <laughs> um, but our own, and to say, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. And so let us, first in the silence of our own hearts, confess our sins against God and our neighbor.